Hello, and welcome to today's episode of In Fellowship, the podcast where we explore community building through a chapter-by-chapter read of The Lord of the Rings. My name is Ellen. And my name is Anna. And in today's episode, we're discussing Book 3, Chapter 10, The Voice of Saruman, discussing persuasion in community. Ellen. Mm-hmm. In this chapter, we get a couple of different forest names, Mm. and I was thinking, since you are the hiker of the two of us, I thought I would ask, if you were presented with an option to go hiking in a place called Watchwood, Mm. or perhaps THE Watchwood, would you? Um, no. Um, that absolutely would, not. <laughs> that would be a hard pass. So I have never seen The Hills Have Eyes because I just really cannot abide horror films. But I've seen the trailer enough times to know that we are not going to enter into any sort of natural area that is looking at you. It's just mm-hmm. a recipe for disaster. You know what I mean? I feel like that's a good rule of thumb. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's one of those rules that, that I live by. <laughs> One of my core tenets is mm-hmm. that, yeah, I not march into a forest also named Watchwood. Why would you? Would you take a take a look? I think not. I, <laughs> although I will say, given the lore around Fangorn, mm. I feel like that just heightens the severity of going to a place called Watchwood. Like if Fangorn, which is you know, a much more benign name, but has kind of this reputation. If something is called the Watchwood, they're watching for a reason, and I need to listen. Well, so now I'm rethinking, because I feel like a lot of these places in Middle-earth have gotten a bad rap. Mm. Like Galadriel's Forest, Lothlorien, they're like, ooh, it's spooky, and no, she's fine. Or Fangorn, it's like, oh, they'll get you. It's like, nope, he's he's just like a big old tree. Mm -hmm. So if it was in Middle-earth, I would rethink it, because I know that it has a... A history of ill ill naming itself but if it was in like upstate new york that would be that would be a no <laughs> that would be a hard pass <laughs> yes but there there were so many good names and like little tidbits i think in how people were throwing shade at each other mm-hmm. during this chapter so i'm ready to to hear a recap if you would share one with us on what all happened in chapter 10. Well, I'm wondering if I can first persuade you to tell (laughs) us a story. (laughs) This is why I should have my notes up dual screen so that we don't don't (laughs) skip any of the sections. Not skipping. Uh, A perfect opportunity to use today's theme to segue to the next section, which is you telling us a story. That's right. It is my turn to tell a story. And you're going to like today's story because you're in it. Oh. And uh, it takes us all the way back to our childhood. So buckle up. Okay. So it's real dicey as yes. to what Anna is going to be included in this story. I am <laughs> waiting with bated breath. Take it away. This story takes place somewhere between my age of 8 and 11. I think it's really hard for me to nail down exactly when this was, but I do know that it was my birthday and you, me, and mom 
we're going to go out to lunch to celebrate. I have a June birthday, so it's always in the summer. When you're a kid, you're off school. Mom must have taken off work, or maybe it was a weekend. But anyway, the three of us, we were going to go out to eat. And mom said that I got to pick the lunch location since it was my birthday. And so I remember I proclaimed that we would all go to Chuck E. Cheese. I was so excited. Our childhood Chuck E. Cheese was located in the mall. And so I had seen it when we'd gone shopping or, you know, running errands. But I had never been to this Chuck E. Cheese. I had only seen through the windows all of the joy all of the children were having inside this, this hallowed hall. So I was really looking forward to the pizza and the games. Unfortunately, you and mom could not be persuaded by my vision of greasy pizza and sticky video games and just oodles and oodles of children running around at your, at your knees. So like Saruman, my melodious words and persuasive tone really fell on deaf ears. We ended up going to the Olive Garden, which is hilarious. I don't know who ended up choosing that. And my Chuck E. Cheese dreams have since gone unfulfilled. And I think Saruman and I were both unsuccessful because we were selling the wrong dream to our audience. Gandalf, he was never going to trust somebody who had just locked him up in a tower. And you and mom were never going to be excited about a giant rat and greasy pizza. I have no recollection of this. What? I have absolutely no recollection of this, and I will also say that I 100% believed it happened as you stated, because I could not (laughs) imagine going to spend my time with an anthropomorphized rat while eating basic pizza for an afternoon. I remember we went went to the Olive Garden, we had breadsticks, and (laughs) this is a funny remembrance, but for dessert... I had one of those little, like, Andy's mints that they give you at the end of the meal. (laughs) And it was the first time I ever had an Andy's mint. And I thought, oh, that's pretty good. (laughs) Oh. That was my birthday memory. (laughs) Yeah. I have no recollection of this. I'll have to ask mom about it. That's really funny. But, yeah, neither neither of you could be persuaded. We were like maybe already at the car or something. We were en route to this lunch. And uh, I could I could not get you on board with the Chuck E. Cheese in the time that it took us to, you know, drive down the street, turn left or right. It, it wasn't going to happen. <laughs> well, and they're both, I mean, they're not exactly by one another, but you would have had to drive past the Olive Garden to get to the Chuck E. Cheese. Mm, so mm-hmm. I could foresee that being a part of the decision-making process. We're just going to turn was, here. <laughs> we're just going to turn in here. Olive Garden's fun, right? So that was that was my story on persuasion. And I wanted to pick one where I was unsuccessful in persuading because mm-hmm. in the chapter... We and and I'll share the instances when we get there, but we don't see a lot of successful persuasion, at least on the part of of Saruman throughout this this chapter. Right. Before I actually transition you now into telling us about the chapter, brief segue. Do you say Saruman or Saruman? Because I feel like I always want to really emphasize the ooh, almost like there's like an umlaut over it. Mm. 
And I don't know if I've just made that up in my head or if other people say it that way too. Okay, so I do believe it's said that way in the movies at least once. Saruman. Yes. So I don't think that's incorrect. But I, and now that I'm thinking about it, I couldn't tell you which would be a more natural way of saying it. But I think I say Saruman. Saruman. Mm -hmm. Saruman. Okay, well, we'll listen attentively in your recap of the chapter and uh, hear if you drop any alternate pronunciations. Right. So now I'm going to overthink it. Okay. (laughs) Perfect. No pressure. Great, great, great. Okay, so the chapter. All right, so we're still at Orthanc. Gandalf, Theoden, and Treebeard returned from their, like, huddle that they were in previously. And Gandalf announces that he's going to see Saruman. Ah. And much of the group agrees to go with him. So, (laughs) which, you know, I feel like is kind of a surprise to the rest of the group. Mm -hmm. I certainly was as a reader. I didn't quite remember that there was this interaction. So Gandalf is going to go chat with him. And then as they approach the tower where Saruman is hanging out and Wormtongue is in there too, Saruman sort of attempts to engage the travelers one by one with this voice of persuasion. And first, he appears to focus on Theoden and try to convince him that they're really allies and that and all of Theoden's men are kind of buying into this and sort of sweet-talking him really into the fact that Saruman isn't an actual threat. Um, And after much time, Theoden really hasn't said much during this interaction. Ultimately, he responds to reject him, and Saruman is mad about this. He is furious. And so then he turns his sight on Gandalf, and Gandalf also rejects him. Then Gandalf tries to entice Saruman to come down from the tower and leave Sauron ultimately, and uh, Saruman refuses, much to no one's surprise. So then Gandalf shows off his, like, boss new powers and excommunicates Saruman from the wizard council and is like, bye, you are done. So that's kind of how their interaction ends. And then as the group is leaving the tower, Wormtongue throws something heavy and shiny out a window at the travelers. Mostly we think at Gandalf, which Pippin retrieves. Gandalf swiftly takes that thing from Pippin's hands and wraps it up in a cloak. Then the group debriefs. And as Gandalf nutshells, Saruman shrieks to find that that thing, whatever it was, is now gone. Ultimately, the group returns to the gates of Isengard and meets Treebeard, so Legolas, Gimli, and Aragorn for sort of the first time, and the group sets off from Isengard and Treebeard, and the Ents vow to keep Saruman in his tower by keeping Isengard a standing pool of water and posting Ent guards, hence the name The Watchwood. And that's how our chapter ends. This scene is completely cut from the movie. We just assume that Saruman has been vanquished by the ants. Although, have you ever seen the extended cut with Saruman's death scene? Yes. Didn't we watch that? I'm, I'm, well, I'm wondering if it's even in the extended cut or is it, is it just on like the DVD extras? Mm. Anyway, it's wild. Don't watch it. Go to YouTube. Type in Saruman laughing troll lol. Watch that video 
and then go find like the original <laughs> Saruman death scene because that's one of the funniest Lord of the Rings videos out there. There and there are quite a few. So and I there's think quite a few. If it stands above the rest of them, I think that that speaks for itself as to its quality. He like does one laugh and then somebody edits it to have him be saying like and then at the end he dies. <laughs> incredible. That's incredible. We'll um we'll we'll put it on our Twitter, everybody. If you haven't seen it, check it out. <laughs> quality internet before the internet became so commercialized that's right yeah it's old internet (laughs) (laughs) okay so that's what happened in the chapter but ellen what were the examples of the theme that you saw throughout those events so the first example that we see is from gandalf and he's speaking and he actually uses the word persuade so this is as you mentioned in your recap The two groups who have been apart in the last chapter are coming together, and Gandalf says it's time to go speak to Saruman, and his quote is, quote, but I have ordered all the Ents to remove themselves from sight, so perhaps we shall persuade him to come out. And it's it's interesting that Gandalf is already thinking about persuading Saruman when we know that the whole rest of the chapter is going to be Saruman trying to basically smooth talk his way out of out of this situation and Gandalf really knows it too because he says you know do not ride to his door with a light heart beware of his voice beware of his powers so he he's already as the chess master trying to outmaneuver the persuader in this moment and so then they they ride on up and they meet with Saruman and then the next example I have is when he starts speaking. And I thought that the writing here was really descriptive and does a good job of explaining how Saruman sounds with his different voices. You know, sometimes it's melodious and then it becomes sharp. But as it's first starting, he is really casting a spell. And the specific quote I'm bringing here is, But none were unmoved, none rejected its pleas and its command without an effort of mind and will, so long as its master had control of it. That's describing Saruman's voice. But I think that quote is wrong, because on the next page, there's a quote from Gimli, and it says, It was Gimli the dwarf who broke in suddenly. The words of this wizard stand on their heads, he growled, gripping the handle of his axe. In the language of Orthanc, help means ruin, and saving means slaying. That is plain, but we do not come here to beg. So while it says that, you know, everyone who heard this voice is, you know, ineffective, Gimli is unpersuaded almost immediately. He was not moved by any of the the bull that Saruman was feeding to the group, and he's the one who first breaks the spell. And so I'm wondering, is it his personality that is so stubborn that makes him so unmovable? Or is it something maybe genetic about being a dwarf where they're like sturdy like the stone and they will not be persuaded by this wizard's witchcraft? What do you think? Yeah, I'm I'm rereading some of that section because I remember finding that notable. Mm-hmm. And I guess the way that I had originally understood it was that 
Saruman is attempting to appeal to the Rohirrim specifically. Mm. And so there's like something about the way that he's approaching that situation that means that Gimli is not kind of within his sights. He's not under the spell. Yeah. And so he is intentionally left out. But I also see that as we sort of lead into that interaction and the spell casting, that there's a sentence that says... Those who listened unwarily to that voice could seldom report the words that they heard, and if they did, they wondered for little power remained in them. Mostly they remembered only that it was a delight to hear the voice speaking, and all that it said seemed wise and reasonable. And I'm wondering if that isn't a note more to the fact that Gimli is very active and very wary about the situation. Mm Mm-hmm. And so is not affected by Saruman's attempts for choices and action that he's taking as opposed to Saruman is just not focusing in on him in that moment. Mm -hmm. But given that Saruman then switches to focus on Gandalf, I thought his appeals sort of shifted focus. And so those who weren't in its path weren't as deeply affected. Right. They're the ones that Tolkien describes as... Quote, for some, the spell lasted only while voice spoke to them. And when it spoke to another, they smiled, as men do who see through a juggler's trick while others gape at it. Right. But it's interesting to me because to that, that seems like people think it's benign, whereas Gimli is very eager to call out, this is ridiculous, we didn't come here for this. BS. Right. Well, and it almost seems to insinuate to me as well that the the onlooker is almost reveling in the fact that someone else has been taken in. Right. So not only are they kind of, they can see through the nonsense, but they're also sort of congratulating themselves on being so clear-eyed as to not Mm -hmm. be taken in and to not really acknowledge the power Saruman has in directing very precisely his language and his persuasion. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, let me read the next quote and maybe we'll see some some clarity there. Because the, mm-hmm. the next moment that I'm bringing is from Aomer, who is also unpersuaded. So he's watching Theoden not answer. And the text says whether he, Theoden, strove with anger or doubt, none could say. Like We're not sure why Theoden's being quiet. And then Aomer goes... Lord, hear me. Now we feel the peril that we were warned of. Have we ridden forth to victory only to stand at last amazed by an old liar with honey on his forked tongue? So would the trapped wolf speak to the hounds if he could. What aid can he give you? Forsooth. (laughs) Just wanted to include that forsooth bit there. Love a good forsooth. Yeah. But, and then he says that, you know, you would not parley with this dealer in treachery and murder. And he names some of Theoden's men who have who have fallen in, in battle against Saruman. So he is also unpersuaded. And I don't know why that is. Is it, I, is it meant to showcase some amazing fortitude or strength? I mean, they really play Aomer up to be almost unequal to Aragorn in that he has this amazing sense of loyalty and honor and he's strong in battle and and he's supposed to be like a really good guy. 
Right. And I, it kind of seems to imply that, yes, Aomer's belief is in Theoden. Mm-hmm. And so that is what protects him from being persuaded by Saruman because he has nothing to gain from Saruman's, like, persuasion if his belief is truly just in Theoden. Mm-hmm. And it seems to imply that the men that come with him are maybe more easily swayed by, like, power or allyship with power. Mm-hmm. And so they are then much more easily won over because they don't have this valiant heart mm-hmm. that Aomer has. Yeah. Simply the best. Right. Him and Gimli yeah. are, <laughs> they are the- just very... They're just men among men clear eyes full heart can't lose can't be persuaded by saruman right exactly right put it on a t-shirt i want it that is the quote and also i just thought it was so funny saruman responds to aomer being like to every man his part valor and arms is yours and you in high honor thereby slay whom your lord names his enemies and be content meddle not in policies which you do not understand which i just took Mm -hmm. to mean like you are big and dumb stay in your lane and saruman i think at that point he's starting to feel that this is not going exactly as planned he has not won over these people and maybe is starting to see a little a little sliver of doubt there Oh, a hundred percent. I think the moment that someone who's trying to persuade a group is like, well, you're stupid. They're losing power (laughs) quickly if that's how they're responding, right? And that is, in essence, what we're saying Saruman is doing. Yes, he is. He's getting saucy, he's getting salty, and he's taking some of that honey off of his forked tongue. Everyone's got a forked tongue in this book. Yeah, no kidding. And then, at last, Theoden speaks, and... It's described in the book as, quote, thickly and with an effort. And so Theoden is really affected by this persuasion. And we know that maybe some of this magic that Saruman is weaving had already been over Theoden when he was under Wormtongue's spell. And so my, my hypothesis here is that the reason he was so affected by Saruman is because his body recognizes this spell. It's like if you if you had a weakened immune system from an illness, that's kind of how I'm feeling Theoden's defenses lowered compared to some of the other people. Right, and it seems that Aomer's appeal is pretty successful in getting through to Theoden mm-hmm. as well because he mentioned some of the same names that Aomer does. And so it, it seems like perhaps those images are part and parcel to his ability to resist the persuasion of Saruman. Yeah. And because this is a community, a podcast about community building, I do want to call out explicitly both Aomer and Theoden in fighting back against Saruman call out names of other victims from their community. People who have had their homes taken away, their lives taken away by Saruman as reasons to push back. So they're showing that they're selfless leaders of their community, representatives of their country, and that they're going to push against this this tyranny from Saruman for the good of the Rohirrim. So my next example is the Saruman... Gandalf discussion. Ugh, so good. So good. 
And Saruman really lays it on thick. And I love this sentence of what people, how people describe what they heard and how he's trying to persuade Gandalf. They heard the gentle remonstrance of a kindly king with an erring but much loved minister. Like what a good, what a good description. I know exactly what, what we mean here. Mm -hmm. And Saruman is trying with this last effort and Gandalf laughs. And it says, quote, the fantasy vanished like a puff of smoke. And Gandalf's got all of this good shade to throw about, oh, you missed your calling in life. You should have been an actor on the stage. And this is where Saruman really loses any semblance of trying to persuade. He starts mocking. It says that pride and hate conquer him. And Gandalf really has the upper hand now in this situation. But even though he has more power than Saruman here, he still tries to persuade him to, to have a change of heart and to change his mind. The quote from Gandalf of what he's promising Saruman if he changes his, his heart and his mind is, quote, But when I say free, I mean free. Free from bond of chain or command. To go where you will, even, even to Mordor, Saruman, if you desire. But you will first surrender to me the key of Orthanc and your staff. They shall be pledges of your conduct to be returned later if you merit them. So that's what, that's what he's pitching to Saruman. Like, if you agree to leave for forever and, you know, give me your staff and give me the key to Orthanc, you will go free. We're not going to kill you if you come down. And Saruman loses it. And as you said in your recap, this is when Gandalf stops persuading and uses his new powers to command Saruman. But I really liked that he started with persuasion and it seemed very respectful, very on brand for Gandalf to try the nice way before trying the more direct approach. I agree. And I think to me, that's a sign of responsible use of power is your biggest threat, your most severe punishment isn't where you start. I think we could have a pretty in-depth conversation on another podcast about whether it's appropriate, given Saruman's misdeeds, to mm -hmm. start at a lesser tone, maybe. Mm -hmm. But I do think that speaks to how in control of the situation Gandalf is. He's able to steadily increase the actions that he's taking against Saruman in a very, like, measured, seemingly very logical mm -hmm. way. And it's not just escalated immediately and see if, that, if, see if that has the impact given kind of how dangerous this character is. I wonder if he were alone, if he would just go straight to the last resort. Mm -hmm. But I do think that Gandalf is a measured enough person and has enough respect for himself that even if there wasn't an audience, he would want to say that he he tried first with reason and then turned to force. I also think it is an opportunity in that moment for community building, for relationship building, to say, not necessarily that we're showing you mercy, mm -hmm. but that there are options. Mm -hmm. And as a reminder, you had an option to pick something that was much more favorable to you, but for your pride and your arrogance... You didn't select that. And ultimately, then you are accountable to the decision you've made for yourself, given that there can't be no consequences. So right. 
of of the options you picked the most severe because you couldn't humble yourself a bit in the moment when options were being presented but i think it's i think it's an important step to not just immediately sever the relationship with a potential new community member if you can kind of pull them in and still hold them accountable without absolutely like excommunicating them i think that's important it's it's a place to repair relationships from and it's a place to be responsible and to also show what firm accountability can look like in community and how persuasion can be used to the benefit of a community Mm -hmm. be great parenting tactics too i think gandalf would really lay it on if he had kids yeah i like the um well, you've misused these things that you have, yes. and these were a responsibility, <laughs> so you're going to give them to me now, mm-hmm. and that you can have them back later when you choose to act more appropriately. Yes, if you can pull it together, <laughs> then you can have it back. <laughs> right. <laughs> okay, well, I, I have one last moment of persuasion. Mm-hmm. It is last chronologically, but it also is the best, so I really did save the best for last. So our boys, Legolas and Gimli, are talking with Treebeard about how Legolas really wants to come back and visit Fangorn by his leave. Treebeard kind of misunderstands and says, oh, yes, hmm, any elf is a friend of the trees. You're welcome to come back with your friends. And Legolas says, no, I don't want to come back with an elf friend. I want to come back with a dwarf friend. This dwarf right here, Gimli, Gloinson. And Fangorn sees Gimli's axe. I think it, like, falls out of his hand or something (laughs) as he's bowing. And Fangorn is not having it. And Legolas persuades Fangorn, Treebeard, that Gimli is a good dwarf. And he does so in the following quote. Strange it may seem, said Legolas, but while Gimli lives, I shall not come to Fangorn alone. His axe is not for trees, but for orknecks, O Fangorn, master of Fangorn's wood. Forty-two he hewed in the battle. And then Treebeard says, Who come now, said Treebeard. That is a better story. And so <laughs> Gimli's slaying of 42 orknecks persuades Treebeard that, Oh, this is a good guy, and he can come back and hang out in my forest with this elf friend. That's a horse of a different color. (laughs) That is the exact vibe. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) So that was my favorite moment of persuasion in the in the chapter. Yeah, and it is. I mean, it's such a strong visual, Mm -hmm. right? The way that it's written, that Legolas is like, "Here, here's my friend," and Gimli bows low, quote, and the axe slipped from his belt and clattered (laughs) on the ground. God dang it! But it's like, it's an orc axe. It's not a tree axe. <laughs> it's different. <laughs> I feel like this is when you're when you're at a party and you're introducing two friends who you know, but they don't know each other and you know they're going to like each other. And you're like, this is my friend who does this. They do this. And this is my friend who also does this. And you're trying to make two new acquaintances like each other. That's Legolas in this moment. Mm-hmm. And Legolas is an interesting character to do that yes. because... He's just, his mood is always so starry-eyed, it seems like, that to have him be the one who's like, no, he's super chill. Like, he just murdered a bunch of orcs with it. Don't get mad. <laughs> it's like kind of the perfect vibe yeah. to do to do that for Treebeard. Yes. 
Legolas is a peacekeeper among among all living creatures. Well, those are those are my examples. Did you have any that you wanted to bring to the to the table, the virtual table? The virtual table? No, I thought those were all great and some good discussion to think about persuasion. I think persuasion as we have it in context here is is seen as much more negative mm-hmm. but i think to end on a note where legless is persuading someone to be more open-minded about gimli i think also shows us again how persuasion can be used positively and to a benefit and it's that it's not always saruman shouting at someone from a right. tower shrieking from a distance <laughs> right right with grima <laughs> well that means it is time for talking with Tolkien. It sure is. Talking with Tolkien. <laughs> Bobby the Boo. Yeah, ba- ba- it's me, Bobby the Boo. <laughs> okay, well, now that we've officially just recorded the theme music for that transition, what quotes did you bring for this segment, the best of all segments? Okay, so... I like that you qualified it as shade Mm -hmm. because it's exclusively why I like this first quote that I'm going to bring. First of two. On page 204, in the same exchange that you had mentioned earlier about Aomer trying to shout above or persuade above Saruman's persuasions with Theoden, who seems to be maybe slipping into a, a state again, his speech that involves the word forsooth uh, is made, Mm -hmm. and Saruman says, quote, If we speak of poisoned tongues, what shall we say of yours, young serpent? <laughs> and I just really liked that. Uh... <laughs> it's got very Jafar Yes, vibes. or Scar. <laughs> yes, mm-hmm. I think the guy who voices Scar mm-hmm. would be a really fabulous voice for Saruman. Yes, when we put together our all-star audio reading of this trilogy, we will cast him. I don't know if he's alive, but we will cast him. I'm pretty sure he is. Perfect. And then the other quote that I really liked was from Gandalf, and on page 207, this is in the exchange between Saruman and Gandalf. Gandalf's trying to get Saruman to come down, and Saruman's like, no, I'm not coming down. I don't trust you. You're the worst. Mm -hmm. And Gandalf responds, quote, the treacherous are ever distrustful. Ooh, that's a good one. I just really liked that quote. I think it's a good reminder that, like, sometimes what's in our hearts is what we project onto others. And Saruman is kind of a sneaky dude. And because he's sneaky, he's expecting that Gandalf won't keep his word either. Mm-hmm. And Gandalf reminds us that, mm, well, you are treacherous. And so that's that's your issue. Mm-hmm. What did you have? I have three. The first one is humorous, and it's just Tolkien doing an excellent job, again, describing the many tones of Saruman's voice. In this one, he says, Its tone was that of a kindly heart aggrieved by injuries undeserved. <laughs> that one just really stuck out to me. I felt like I know what that what that sounds like. I might have used it now and then to elicit... <laughs> some pity uh but i <laughs> i like that one and then i had a i have a quote that actually goes with yours it's gandalf again talking about saruman and what i 
chose from his many excellent words is, quote, often does hatred hurt itself. Mm. And that's sort of the same thing of what you're just discussing of what you put out into the world is sometimes what you get back. And in this one, using hatred, you end up hurting yourself maybe more than the person you were intending. It eats at you. Right, because, like, Saruman could have had a pretty decent gig yeah. if he had turned over the key to Orthanc and his and his staff and, like, maybe gone about his life and it wouldn't have been as glamorous mm-hmm. and as powerful, but it would have been a life and he could have adjusted to it. But because he said, nah, he really ends up sealing his fate. Yeah. Okay, and then the last quote is a Treebeard quote because we can't forget our boy Fangorn... Anytime he's in the chapter. And what he says is, quote, Well, well, things will go as they will, and there is no need to hurry to meet them. I just thought, what a nice reminder that things are going to float along as they will, and there's no need to to stress, to hurry. It'll come when it comes, and it'll be fine. I need to put that on a post-it. I know. I When I, I was walking along the street when I heard it and I was like I need to stop and sit down and write this down (laughs) (laughs) that was a good one Treebeard I need a moment with Fangorn those were some really excellent quotes and good discussion Mm -hmm. what do you have for us for an action item so we talked about negative persuasion but my action item is what we ended with, positive persuasion. So if you're like me, you have maybe an activity or even maybe a TV show, a book that has been recommended to you by somebody you love dearly that you think, nope, that thing is not for me. I'm going to encourage you to be persuaded to try it. If it's something that's not going to cause you pain emotionally or or physically and you just think it's not something you'd be interested in, be persuaded. Try something new and even if you don't like it, you'll be able to relate to the person who recommended it to you that much more and have another thing to speak with them about. Is this about you wanting us to take a backpacking trip? Camping! (laughs) We're going camping! Look, when you said that at the top of the of the podcast, I was like, oh, ho, ho, just wait until we get to the to this uh, action item, because I might I might bring it back. What if we go to Chuck E. Cheese instead? <laughs> I don't want that anymore. <laughs> what if what if we went to what Chuck E. We Cheese just go to Chuck E. Cheese instead of sleeping outside? Yeah, well, you can send me like um. <sighs> A sad book to read, and I'll uh, I'll send you a romance <laughs> novel, and we'll each try something new. <laughs> I like that. That's what you associate as my thing. Here's a sad, depressing book that uh, you've been reading lately. It's all. I just feel like they're always very smart, but it's it's like and the uh, Manhattan's <laughs> about to be flooded. You know. I mean, you're not wrong. <laughs> I can, I can own that. Well, that's my action item. So allow yourself to be persuaded. <laughs> 50% of this podcast should allow themselves <laughs> to be persuaded <laughs> to go backpacking mm-hmm. one, time. one time. 
And we would love to shout out Chris, who wrote us a nice email saying how much he enjoyed the podcast. Thank you, Chris. We appreciated your kind letter. Today's podcast was brought to you by Saruman's targeted Instagram ads. Not effective. Our music is by Robert Zahn and Simon Dom. If you have thoughts on today's episode or homework assignment, send us a voicemail or email at infellowshippodcast at gmail.com. You can leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. Remember to take care of your community, stay hydrated, and thank you for joining us today in fellowship. I'll bring a tent next time I come visit. We can just try in your backyard. Do you remember the last time we tried to do that? I went inside at 10 p.m. Yeah, I was like, did you even come outside? Yeah, I did. We hung out until I got bored, and then I went inside and slept in my own bed. Uh, For the listeners, I think we were in elementary school. I can't quite recall. But, like, we really have not shifted too far from that experience now as adults. It's the same mood. I just really like my own bed, y'all. Yeah. I just really I, like it. I respect that for you. <laughs> <laughs>